Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All right, here we go. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast, episode number 63. Wow, it's August 27th. Man, summer's freaking over. I can't believe it. Uh, Labor Day weekend next weekend, which is, uh, of course, the official end of summer. But, you know, when I was younger, everybody went to school after Labor Day. We didn't start school in August. So when I was younger, we got out of school late June, and we started school after Labor Day. Now it's all screwed up, right? People get out of school in May. They start school in August. There was some type of an organization to life. When school started after Labor Day, like September 5th or 6th, whatever it was, and then ended the third week in June every year, there was a certain predictability to it. Well, for episode 63, I want to thank my sponsors, Pluto TV and BetDSI. And if you haven't, hit subscribe at Apple Podcast or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Man, some strange things going on in the news. One thing good is that Congress is on vacation. Have you noticed that there's not a lot of screaming and yelling and bickering these days? Right, yeah. It's now all campaigning. So they stop in August working, and uh, August is all about raising money and raising awareness, uh, and that's what they're trying to do now. But it's an interesting time to see everybody insulting each other, who just a month ago were friends. And months from now, one of them has to support the other after beating the hell out of each other. All night long, which is amazing. And, Corey, you watch a lot of TV, right? Yeah, I do. So did you know that Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service now? And you can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all completely free. And that Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even have to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is also easy, completely legal, and you can watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for, Corey? If you want TV for free, you can download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Pluto TV, pretty cool stuff. So a lot of strange things going on in the news. For example... A man loses his class ring from Tennessee High School, and it was returned to him 43 years later. (laughs) And he lost it in the school. Wow. So he lost it 43 years ago, and an employee in a school actually found it all those years later. This woman in Missouri. Now, I never knew this could happen to somebody in Missouri. This is Kansas City area. Woman goes to sleep complaining of water in her ear. You know that feeling after you take a shower, right? Yeah, right. Okay. And she was shocked. It was a venomous brown recluse spider. Oh. Which is like one of the most poisonous spiders yeah. in the world. I thought that shit was down in the Amazon or something. I didn't right. think that they had that stuff in Kansas City. And it crawled in her ear, but it didn't bite her. Wow. Thank God, man. Can you imagine that? And I'm guessing they got to be real careful getting it out because you don't want to piss it off on the way right. out either. Whew. So this guy's on his electronic surfboard, right, his electric surfboard. You've seen those, Corey, right? They're really cool. Right, yep. And they have sort of a hydrofoil wing on the bottom, so when you get going at a good speed, the board itself actually lifts out of the water. Okay. And you ride on this fin. Well, California photographer is taking some drone shots of some hydrofoilers capturing video, and one of them is surrounded by great white sharks. And it's online. You can see the video. Fortunately, they didn't bite him. But uh, 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 they were definitely (laughs) surrounding him. And you could almost tell that their mouths were starting to get juicy. So the largest ketchup tower in the world, this is big news, the world's largest ketchup tower made the Guinness Book of World Record. 883 bottles of ketchup to create an 11-foot tall tower. Jeez. Now, with all the things that we could do in life, Corey, 
that would affect people in some ways. Some people actually took the time to stack 883 bottles of ketchup to create this 11-foot-tall tower that did make the Guinness Book of World Records. And the country that it's in was why I read this, because I thought it was shocking. This was in the United Arab Emirates. Oh, it wasn't even in the, the States. So you, Yes, yeah, so you wouldn't think that they yeah. would be doing something like that in that part of the world, but they are. So a mistake in a store, this is pretty cool, an Australian woman who actually used the same lottery slip to buy two tickets ended up having the mistake pay off when her prize was doubled. Imagine that. So the woman accidentally used the same lottery slip twice. So you scan the lottery slip, and then you buy the ticket. She scanned it twice by mistake, <laughs> and she won twice. Wow. Uh, when I was very young, we lived on Long Island, and my parents had a gardener. I, I never forget his first name was Jack. I can't remember what his name was. And he'd come, and he'd do the garden in the backyard every day. And it was beautiful. He did a nice job. Jack won the New York State Lottery. Oh, wow. And when he won it, it was the scratch type of lottery. And it was in the early days of the New York State Lottery. And Jack won $100,000. I'll never forget it. And I always wondered, you know, those next few days where everybody hears the story of the gardener won $100,000. That was a lot of money back then. Is he going to come back and garden next week? <laughs> so sure enough, next week comes along, Thursday or Friday, whatever the day it was. And sure enough, Jack shows up wearing his green, you know, maintenance uniform and goes to work on the gardening as if nothing happened. Now what I'm about to tell everybody on this show is completely true because people are going to say, nah, 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 nah. Four or five weeks later, the same guy wins the big lottery for over a million dollars. So he won twice, my gardener, in about five weeks. The second time when he won, he won over a million dollars. Then he didn't come back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame him. But he actually won twice. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh, boy. So uh, a woman fishing in New York State reels in a trout, and this picture is online. This is one of the most bizarre pictures I have ever seen. A woman fishing in New York State reels in a trout, right? You know what a trout looks like? Yep. Pretty traditional-looking fish with the fins and, you know, nothing strange about the way a trout looks. This one has two mouths. It's got a mouth beneath a mouse. A, A mouth beneath a mouth. And it's one strange-looking fish. Makes me wonder, are these migrations going to happen? Anyway. Okay. I was telling you about my gardener, Jack, right? Yep. And how he won the instant lottery? Yep. Then he won a million dollars after it. Crazy. I never saw him again. Crazy. I just happened to pull up this story just by coincidence. I did not know this story when I was telling you the story of Jack. Headline, Virginia man wins lottery nine years after a million-dollar win. Oh. A Virginia man who collected $28,170 lottery prize is no stranger to the winner's circle. He won a million jackpot nine years ago. What are the odds of winning the lottery? And then what are the odds of winning the lottery twice? That guy is one lucky freaking dude. Mm -hmm. Talking about lucky. So an Arkansas park visitor of Diamonds State Park in Arkansas, right? She goes to the crater at Diamond State Park in Arkansas, a big hole in the ground. She's right. walking around, and she finds just on the ground a 3.72-carat yellow diamond, the largest diamond found in the park in over two years. That's hers. Wow. And I find it interesting, Corey. If you walked onto my property right, yeah, yeah, and picked up a diamond. That's my diamond. <laughs> it's, on, it's on my property. True, true. So why isn't that diamond the federal property? Yeah. Or the state property of Diamond State Park. Yeah. Anyway, it just seemed interesting to me that if it was on private property, you somebody would claim it. Right. It's on public property, so they don't. So those are the strange things that I just found this weekend looking through my newspaper. But some of the strangest things of all are acts of Congress. National days. So, for example, today, Corey, right now, at this very moment, as you and I sit here making this show, it is National Web Mistress Day. Oh. Now, okay. <laughs> I'm a married man. Right. If I had a web mistress, I got a feeling I'd be in big freaking trouble here, right? Yeah. So is the federal government suggesting that we all have web mistresses? Yeah, that's a little, uh, that's a little weird. And does that not seem a little chauvinistic? Right. What about a, a web dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 
Okay, so you don't want to confuse these two. It's National Web Mistress Day and National Dog Day. But you don't want your National Web Mistress to be a dog. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So there is somewhat of a connection there. It's National Women's Equality Day. That's a good thing. National Cherry Popsicle Day. Okay, I can go for that. National Pots de Creme Day. Pots de Creme Day, whatever the hell that is. Okay, here it is. Don't wait this on me once all day, Corey, but tomorrow is National Just Because Day. Wait, just because. Just because. National Power Rangers Day. Okay, how did that happen? That sounds more like a sponsorship package than a national holiday. National Bowtie Day. National Cherry Turnovers Day. Interesting. It's also Cherry Popsicle. Two cherry things in one week. That doesn't seem very freaking fair now, does it? <laughs> Rainbow Bridge Remembrance Day. Rainbow Bridge was one of my favorite Jimi Hendrix albums. I'm guessing it's a bridge in Hawaii or something. I don't even know where the hell Rainbow Bridge is. <laughs> On August 29th, it is National Chop Suey Day. National Toasted Marshmallow Day is this week. National Grief Awareness Day. So, Corey, when you're grieving, I think it's important that you're aware of it. Okay. There's no point in having grief if we're not aware of it. And there's no point in having grief if we don't share it with everybody around us. So on National Grief Awareness Day, we are obligated to bum each other out. Just because. Just because. Any grief that you have, you have to share with everybody. Bring us all down. So on Grief Awareness Day, we should all just be complete bummers. National College Colors Day, National South Carolina Day, National Matchmaker Day. Well, okay, now we match that up with National Web Mistress Day. Mm. Now we got something that seems to be moving wrong. National Trail Mix Day, National No Rhyme No Reason Day. So those are the acts of our government that have taken care of our interests this week by protecting all of those very, very important things. We'll be right back with In the Dark. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Are you a reality TV fan? Well, if you are, you can get your fix with Rob's sister Nino on Rob Has a Podcast here on Podcast One. Join two-time Survivor as he talks to some of the biggest names in reality TV and covers the hottest competition shows like Survivor, Amazing Race, Big Brother, and more. Download new episodes of Rob Has a Podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. You know, it's funny, Corey, when you run a business day-to-day, you know, talking to people is easy. You know, you and I talking together is easy. You know, working on things is easy. You know, payroll and accounting is what's really, really tough in a business. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't put the time into it, and then it bites them in the butt when the numbers don't work. And running a business doesn't have to be difficult. With Square Payroll Services, you can easily pay your W-2 employees and 1099 contractors online in just a few clicks. You can file your taxes, offer benefits like the 401K, and more. And Square Payroll is integrated with Square POS, so time cards and tips are automatically imported into payroll. And they offer fair and flexible pricing that scales with your business. Just $29 per month plus $5 per employee per month. I'm talking about simple pricing. No hidden fees and no long-term contracts. Square Payroll is a win for any business. Right now, my listeners can receive three free months of Square Payroll by visiting square.com slash go slash taffer. That's square.com slash go slash taffer to receive three months of Square Payroll. Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again, free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. Shut it down! All righty, this... I don't know if this is my favorite part of the show. You know, audience call-ins were sort of fun. This is a little scary, Corey. No, yeah. I, I haven't even listened to this week's. So you're laying them on me completely cold. Completely cold. I have no idea. You have no idea have, what I'm yeah, going to listen no to either. 
Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I am going to now, when people send me an in-the-dark audio clip, if we use it on the air, we're going to send them an autographed copy of Don't BS Yourself. Ooh, I like that. So every week, we'll send out three or four copies. We'll autograph them. We'll get your name and address. So anybody who sends an audio clip for In the Dark gets an autographed copy of Don't BS Yourself, which is my New York Times bestseller and my favorite book I, I, that I ever worked on. I love uh, that book. It's, it's changed so many lives. So giving them away is a lot of fun for me. But now I'm terrified that you told me that, Corey. <laughs> I'm a little scared, too. Okay. The good news is that that uh, whatever it is, after 183 bar rescues, I'm freaking ready. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. First one up. Why do you think some business owners think they're obligated to have success just for going through the process of starting a business? Seems like there's this assumption by some owners that things are supposed to just work out for them, even if they fail to maintain high standards or make necessary changes for the long-term sustainability of their business. Boy, that was that was a, 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 actually a great, great question. You know, when people feel that they're going to be successful no matter what, and, and uh, um, they almost feel entitled to it. So I'm going to open the store, Corey. I'm going to put widgets on all the shelves. I'm going to put a widget sign in front. So I did. I leased a good store. I put a nice sign up. I made the front of the store nice. Those are all the things I'm supposed to do, right, Corey? Made the inside of the store nice. Made sure it had a great inventory. Trained the employees well. Did all of those steps, procedures, and processes that I thought should make it successful. And now I have this sense of entitlement. So I don't market as hard. I don't knock on as many doors as I should. I don't drive revenue like I should. I don't push and push and push. You see, when I was younger, I never was sure I'd be successful. It was the fear of not being successful that made me work my ass off. If you take that fear out, so people think, well, if I go through the motions, I'll be successful. It isn't that easy. You got to go through the motions, and then you got to make it work after you go through the motions. If you think you're going to be successful and you feel entitled to it, then you're much more accepting of letting it happen rather than making it happen. I think that's a major, major mistake. And people that get into business with that view, the confidence of success rather than the fear of failure, I think can hurt hurt them. And I think that was a very astute question. All right, great. Let's move on. Hi, John. Lazaro here from Miami. My wife and I are big fans of yours, and every time we go to a bar, we think of you and your measures for success and judge every single bar by those measures. Um, my question to you is um, a big part of your turning around these failing bars is confrontation. How do you deal with it? And has there ever been a time where it's gotten to you? Let me know. You know, it, it, that's another great question because I happen to be working on my new book now, which is all about conflict. And it won't come out for another year, so I'm not, I'm not trying to plug the book. But I've been studying the whole premise of conflict over the years. For example, uh, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had this incredible conflict they fought every freaking day. George Washington, on the other hand, was not very conflict-oriented person. Bar Rescue, I got stuck with conflict. The problem is that I only have them for a couple of days, and I'm only with them really for a few hours each of those days. So I have to push to make people do things at a pace that is not natural, right? People do things at a general pace, and it takes time to affect change and training and learning and process and all of these things. I have none of those in Bar Rescue, so I'm stuck pushing and pushing and pushing. And when I push and push and push and have to force things into their heads, people don't like it. And the next thing is conflict. So I learned to not be scared of conflict, and I suggest that none of us be, and here's why. If you choose not to have conflict with someone, in that moment, you could be throwing away your own values because you're not sticking up for something that you believed in. You could be throwing out something that's important to you that now is not going to become a topic of conversation. If you're a parent and you avoid conflict, how can you possibly discipline children? How can you possibly keep them in an envelope of behavior, so to speak? If you're a boss and you refuse to have conflict with the people that work for you, how do you grow together? Conflict is a powerful tool. Conflict, in my view, is one of the greatest instruments of change in the entire history of our planet. 
When we have conflict, there's a chance of one of our ideas changing. In that moment, lives change when ideas change. What causes ideas to change? Conflict. So I've learned through Bar Rescue being forced into conflict that now I'm not forced into it anymore. I choose conflict because conflict brings it to the top, makes us discuss it, and then we move on. Without conflict, we throw away our values, our morals, our ideas, our opinions. If we choose not to conflict with something that maybe we should, I suggest we've thrown away our own identity. So I'm pro-conflict, not pro-avoiding it. Another great one. Yeah. All right, last one. Let's move on. Hi, John. I'm wondering if you've ever really disliked one of your bar owners. At the end of the episodes, they all come across as having some sort of redeeming quality, but I'm wondering if there's one that stands out that you just didn't like, even at the end. You know, that's a really good question, because when I go through the bar rescue process, you know, recon night, it's hard to like them. You know, they're screwing their employees, or they're screwing their customers, or they're not being responsible in their kitchens, or, you know, somebody is being taken advantage of by a lousy owner, whether it's a customer, the employees, their family, their wives, etc. So there's always a loser on that end. So I get angry on recon night. I don't find a lot of redeeming qualities in them typically the first night I'm there. Second day, I push and push and push. Maybe there's a spark of something redeeming. But typically by the end, you know, there is something about them that is endearing to me. Maybe it's the love they had for their wife that made them step up or their husband or the belief in their children or the fact that their children are there for reveal night. Maybe it's the fact that I just was able to crack through to the person's heart through the tough exterior because when people are failing, they build up walls around them to insulate themselves from that failure. In almost every case, in the last day of Bar Rescue, which is the reveal day, I do feel something redeeming, and I do feel a connection and a friendship with just about every owner. There's only a couple I haven't, really. Uh, Steve from Headhunters, right? Uh, 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 That was an individual I had no connection with whatsoever. I did not like him. I do not like his ethics. Smiling, Smiling Ed in Chicago was another one who's disrespectful to the people around him and to, the, to, to every aspect of his business. I did not like Ed at the end of the episode. Those of you who have seen that episode know that. And then, of course, the coup de grace, which is O-Face, which is the first walkout ever in bar rescue history. I didn't even remodel their bar. So there's only maybe three or four that at the end of the episode, I walked away saying this person didn't have one redeeming quality. I almost, uh, uh, um, I almost regret doing the rescue. Uh, um, that very rarely happens. Almost every time I'm walking away and I say, boy, I'm glad I did that. I made a difference for a family or a person or a bunch of employees or a community. But there's always some good that I attach to a bar rescue. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's not that owner. Well, that's pretty good. I like those three calls. Yeah, not bad. Make sure when you do call in and give us your audio tape, you say your name in the beginning of it. And then uh, when you send it on the email, uh, uh, if, in fact, we choose yours, Corey will send you a note. You'll give us your address, and I'll send you an autographed copy of Don't BS Yourself, uh, my New York Times bestseller. Sometimes I can't believe that I'm a New York Times bestselling author. A lot of my friends in high school probably find that quite remarkable. <laughs> I'm a, I must say I'm a fan, and I'm really excited that she's chosen to join us. But Amara Zaragoza, you know, stars as Joan, the high princess of a sex cult on Strange Angel. And, uh, boy, she's also been on CW's Gossip Girl, Poppy Litton on ABC's Dirty Sexy Money. Uh, uh, She is one of, actually, my favorite television actresses. And she's got an amazing story. And I'm really sort of giddy, Corey. Uh, uh, Pretty excited that she's here. So when I come back, we'll be with Amara. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Man, what a great time of year. Beautiful weather and football is right around the corner. And if you're looking to add some excitement, make BetDSI your betting partner. 
Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site, and most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game to you bet at BetDSI. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Okay, I must say I don't get this way often, but I'm a little giddy because I'm actually a big fan of yours. No way. I, I am actually. I love you working, and I had some fun that I wanted to have with you later talking about <laughs> some, some of the great roles you've had. But okay. Amara Zaragoza is a, a uh, one of my favorite television actresses, and, and I mean, you've done so many uh, uh, different shows, uh, um, fr- from CSI to, to comedy-type roles, et cetera. But I want to talk about... Uh, um, your beginnings and your fight with MS, because you and yeah. I actually share something. I'm, oh, yeah? on, I'm on the board of Cleveland Clinic, the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. Oh, wow. And, and we at the Cleveland Clinic in Nevada have the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health, and we have one of the best research facilities in the world. And we work on Alzheimer's, Huntington's disease, MS, and all neurological diseases. So it's something very close to my heart. I work on it all the time. We raise money for it all the time. I'm surrounded by the best doctors all the time when I'm with Cleveland Clinic and our teams and our annual get-togethers and board meetings and medical science reviews and everything. So we share a commitment, even though I'm looking at it from the outside, of course, and you from the inside. We share commitment to solving that and finding wow. cures for that. And, and uh, so I wanted to talk for a couple of seconds because when you were young, I'm talking mm-hmm. 14, 15 years old. So you're a little girl in school and you grew up where? I grew up in Kansas, in Hayesville, Kansas. So, so you're a Midwest girl growing yeah. up in a Midwest town uh-huh. surrounded by Midwest values, I'm guessing, right? And that type of an upbringing. <laughs> Uh-huh. What did you want to be when you were 13, 14 years old? Um, that was probably right around the time I was realizing I wasn't actually going to be an astronaut and was switching over to modeling and acting. I wanted to be an actor. So you did. So you knew that. So when you I got, did. So, so did you start acting and doing performances when you were in high school and such? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was in the kindergarten. I was the lead in the kindergarten play. I was always doing it all the time. And, and um, my mom wanted to be a singer, so she would drink whiskey and sing Patsy Cline all the time, and I'd be doing that with her. So it was always kind of something that was in the background. So, so uh, uh, because when I watch you in your various roles and such, and I've seen you in some interviews and stuff, you've got a lot of confidence. So I guess you started this at a very young age. Yeah, I did. I mean, technically, I started at 21 um, with real classes, and I came to Los Angeles when I was 22. And um, I never uh, – people chose me off the street over and over and over. So I was 15. Somebody chose me off the street. I was 20. Somebody chose me off the street in San Francisco. Um, and then I moved here, and then I got chosen again. So it was kind of fate anyway. I wanted to do it, but the universe was definitely leading the way. So yeah, the stars aligned, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say on the street, you don't literally mean somebody came up to you and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hi, come be in my television show. Or do you? Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, so totally. <laughs> tell, tell me that story. Tell me the first story. That's that's an amazing thing. Um, the first time was in Wichita, Kansas. I skipped school and I was at the mall. And um, <laughs> this woman named Erin Simica came up and um, tapped me on the shoulder and she took, ended up taking me to New York and doing modeling stuff. And then they sent me off to Tokyo, and I traveled for a year and 
and it completely changed my life. And I'm still in touch with her now and we're still working together. And then when I was 21, um, I was at the Hate Street Festival being a hippie in San Francisco. <laughs> and somebody tapped on my shoulder, Renita Whited in LA, she's a casting director. And she asked me to be in a Verizon wireless commercial. And I had never seen money like that. And I, I booked it and I got all these checks and I was you know, poor from Kansas. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I have to do. So I moved to LA immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. So did you have, I grew up in New York, so I, I didn't grow up in the Midwest, but did you have any kind of culture shock when, when you moved to LA in the first place and when you went to Los Angeles and, and, and was there an intimidation factor or, or tell me about that transition? Well, when I, the first time when I left, I was 17 and I was in, I went to Tokyo alone and that was my big culture shock. And the buildings were crazy. And I thought that the construction guys looked like Fraggle Rock and they had their little weird white hats on. And it was really, really insane. But I was also very fearless. And I was like, I'll never be in this part of the world again. I'm going to do everything I can. So I did everything I could. I went everywhere. I bought plane tickets. I would work, make money, and then go somewhere. And then when I was poor again, I would go back to the city and model in Asia for eight months. So I had this huge, I guess, um, recalibration of my brain. Wow. No, <laughs> that that's amazing, though, because it almost opens up these doors, right? Yeah, and this whole world goes alone. in. Yeah, being alone and being able to hold your own with all these people that aren't your culture and, and trying all the new food and running around. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. And it really uh, solidified my confidence in myself. You know, it's interesting. I talk on this podcast all the time. Um, are about people who don't do things, put excuses in front of them, right? Mm -hmm. I'm too scared to go to Japan, right? It's inconvenient for me to go to Japan. I don't have the money to go to Japan. I don't have the clothes to go to Japan. You could have come up with a list of, of 20 reasons why yeah. you shouldn't have gone. Yeah. But yet well, at that time, you had the courage to go. I did as a teenager too, as a young girl who'd never even been on a plane. I'd never seen the ocean wow. um, or a mountain at that time. And, um, so the first little print job I got was in Chicago and they were like, get yourself up here and you can do this. And it was going to pay me $800 or something. And for Claire's boutique. And I was like, well, I can't, I don't have a hundred dollars, but the plane ticket was a hundred dollars. Uh. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a hundred dollars. I've never had a hundred dollars. I can't do it. I don't know. I can't buy the Polaroid uh. film. Like I'm out. And this woman came over and she was like, listen, you sell your tapes, you sell your CDs, you're never going to get a chance like this again. If you blow it, you're stuck here forever. You do it. And I was, she just got through and I was like, okay. And, um, and we figured it out and I got up there and I never came back. <laughs> wow. So you think about all the other girls that could have been, or guys that could have been your age at that time in life. And, yeah. they, and they didn't take that one step that would have changed everything. Yeah. And and I talk about that a lot on the show and how even entrepreneurs and how every day that people want to do something, each day that passes, it becomes less likely that they do it. Yeah, exactly. You have to count to five and make your first step or you're not going to do it, right? Yeah. So, so okay, so now you have the confidence to go to Japan. You're a young girl. You go off on your own. You go to work mm -hmm. there. Now you start getting offered big roles, big, produ big productions, Yeah. big names mm -hmm. around you. Were you ever intimidated by any of that? Of course, yes. Absolutely. And and how did you use that intimidation? Because it didn't make you freeze, that's for sure, because I see you on camera. So did you use that intimidation as like a tool? Did you push it aside? How did you deal with that? Yeah, you know, I think my personality, I'm a people pleaser. And if there's an awkward pause, I want to laugh and, you know, and do something. And so one of my first big auditions, a couple of them, I was like, I must've just bombed because, but I booked them. One of them, I didn't know what to do. So I just started crawling across the desk towards the <laughs> casting director. <laughs> Cause it was supposed to be this femme fatale, like sexy woman. And I didn't ever consider myself sexy. And I was like, I guess she would crawl across the desk. You know? <laughs> <So> I, just, <laughs> I did really big stuff. And then one time I, you know, my emotions, I can go to 11 in two seconds and I ended up going a little far and I kicked the chair and threw it around and, and the woman called my, my manager and was like, she's really great. She's a movie star, but I thought she might kill me. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I almost 
almost hit her with a chair on accident. I was like, I am so sorry. So I had to learn to rein it in and be a little more subtle. That's funny. I don't think they've ever seen my show, but I'm known for throwing things and doing things like that on my TV show. So I can relate to what you're saying. Sometimes people step back an extra foot or two when I'm around just to, to get out of the line of fire, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm nervous, watch out. I might throw something at you. So, 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 uh, uh, so now, now uh, um, you're starting to do this work, and we all have these moments in life. So you're, you're living now. When you started doing your TV roles, now you moved from San Francisco to L.A.? Yep. Okay, so you're living in L.A., and you're getting these roles, and your phone is ringing, isn't it? Yeah, all the time. So busy. It was amazing. Was there a moment when you came back to your apartment and said to yourself, Holy shit. I've actually I've made it. I'm successful. This is my real career. Did you have a moment of self-gratification like that ever? I really didn't until it was way later. Um I would run around, I mean, in LA you're in your car 8 hours a day. Yeah. I'm paying bills over the phone while I'm sitting in traffic. I'd get home at night and either study and go right to bed and but I was also in a band, so sometimes I would go uh, play music. And so I was just like, so busy, so busy. And I was having the time of my life and enjoying my friends and all of that stuff. But I was never like, Oh, I'm successful. I was like, let's take advantage of this while it is. Cause it's never going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And then after, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, then I was like, wow, this is my career. And I, I still don't think, wow, I've made it, but I think, you know what? I wrote a script. I have a couple shorts I've directed. Like now I'm ready to go to another level. So I don't think you ever sit back and say, ooh, I'm successful, you know. It's yeah. always like, what can I do next? What can I turn this into? How can I leverage myself and grow? I had a, a, a moment once where, when I uh, – it, it was actually a moment when I owned a big property, and, and I was in it late at night, and I'm in this huge nightclub, multi-million dollar, and I'm, I'm literally turning the lights off, and there's hundreds of employees, but I'm there by myself. And there was uh-huh. a moment when, when uh, I realized that, wow, you know, I'm at a point that I never expected to. But probably my greatest uh, media moment was with my mother. You'll get a kick out of this story. I never expected to be on television. I'm a businessman. So I launched a reality show now 10 years ago. I'm doing my 185th episode this week. Wow. So we've had now a nine-year run. It's very successful, Bar Rescue. My mother is in an assisted living home, and I tell her I'm doing a TV show. I'm going to do a TV show. Well, she got to see the show from her hospital room, uh, uh, um, and she called me. And the first thing she said to me, of course, when you're on TV the first time, I'm guessing you probably spoke to your parents pretty soon after your first TV appearance, too. Well, the first call I make is to my mother, and I say, Mom, what do you think? What do you think? She said, Son, that bald spot was just terrible. And that was the first comment I ever got from my mother from my first television appearance. (laughs) So, Amara, I I have a really interesting question to ask you as one who directs and is on the other side of the camera. When you have a role in, let's say, a CSI, just to pluck something out of the sky, on your way to set that day, you've read your script, you've had some conversations, you have a certain an understanding of the character to some degree. Do you really understand uh, uh, what and how you're going to play that character typically before you get there? Or do you arrive at set with a blank blackboard and take it in on set and, and, and then construct the character in your mind? No, I definitely arrive already knowing. Um, and... I was working with Billy Baldwin and he was like, if you care anything about anything, of course you rehearse. We were having a debate over whether you should rehearse a lot. And someone was saying, no, you don't rehearse. You want it to be fresh. And he just was like, no, that is not it at all. Um, I rehearse a lot. I know how I want to do it. I know her voice and then it can change. But when you're on set, the props don't feel like yours. It's not like you get to hang out in that world and feel comfortable. So you have to know already in your mind and create it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously what the other characters are doing and the other actors are doing is going to change and bounce off of it and make yep. things come more alive. Yeah. But I definitely come in with an idea. Yeah. I know this, this it's probably a question you've been asked before, but does directing make you a better actor? I think so. Yeah. And I think acting probably makes you a better director. I would think um, so. Does it make yeah. you push yourself more? Does it, as a director, you understand boundaries more, so it, it allows you as an actor to move within those boundaries more comfortably? Is yeah, you understand a little bit more what they need and what they're talking about, you know, and, and just watching other people do it 
from the other side shows a lot too, because, you know, I can be really internal and go off of only my feelings and my intuition and like, Oh, I want to get this thing. And then all of a sudden you're directing and you're like, Oh wait, but this is what I need, (laughs) you know? Yes. So you become a little more understanding, I think for sure. And then also the technicalities can help things knowing what the technicalities are that they need. Yeah. So, So what do you enjoy more acting or directing? Oh my gosh. Um, they're so different. And I just started directing. So um, I'm actually working on a project right now to start co-directing with somebody because it's really hard to direct and act at the same time to get yeah. to take the different hats off for me. Um, I'm not sure because acting is so internal and I, you, it's such a cathartic release, especially when it's emotional. And mm-hmm. I love ramping it up. I love fighting. I love crying. I love all of that. It's a stuff. rush. And then it's a rush yeah. and it's physical. Yeah. And emotional. And then with directing, I think in a really visual way and I love writing. And so figuring out how to like show this thing, it's, um, it's a little more intellectual. So I like that too, but it's not as much of like a, oh, until you're done. <laughs> the first day I directed, I threw up afterwards. Oh, really? That, that was the tension of it. You mean? Got you I, that... I was so nervous. Wow. Yeah. And I, I didn't know if I did well. And I just, it was so hard all day. And I was so like, oh, and then afterwards it went great. And then I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. So, uh, how do you deal with, uh, you, as you say, you're a pleaser. Yeah. Right? You go at relationships in a nice, sweet, kind kind of a way. You're not a conflicting person by nature, right? You're not the kind of person to wake up and argue with people all day long, <laughs> which yeah. some people say I can be. But so <laughs> now you're a director. You move into a director's role. In a director's role, you've got to look at people and say no. You've got to look at people and say, no, that's not what I want. You have yeah. to say, no, that's not good enough, or that's not deep enough, or pull more out, or et cetera. Yeah. Is that tra- only better. <laughs> yes. So now you went from a yes-sayer to, in some cases, a no-sayer. Yeah, or a, that's a great idea. Let's try it that way, and let's try it this way, and maybe we can, you know, maybe we can see both sides or see it later. So, and- so do you avoid conflict by nature? Um, I can't avoid conflict. Maybe that's why I do so well at that kind of acting because it must be in there. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it gets really good whenever I'm in that space. It's, you get intense. Yeah, I can get really intense. Um, and it's really hard to push me there in real life. Yeah. But once people do, they're like, whoa. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So, okay. So now 2015 rolls along. Okay. And this is an amazingly wonderful story of a young girl, right, from high school who has her dreams to be a model and an actress and son of a gun. It happens. And you get to travel around the world and you get to work on the best television shows and some of the greatest films and with some of the greatest directors and producers and talent. Yeah. And all these wonderful dreams come true. And then in 2015, what happens? Yes, I got diagnosed with MS, with multiple sclerosis. And um, my sister has it also. Mm. So when I started feeling things, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that it was there. And then um, the one symptom that I have that only people with MS have is Laramate sign, the barbershop thing. When I look down, there's lesions on my spine. So it'll shock me. And that happened. And so I called a neurologist and was just like, hey, I have MS. I'm going to come in, do a spinal tap. Like I already knew what was going to happen. Yeah. so, yeah, but it was very, very hard, very intense, very scary. Did you have a fear of it beforehand, knowing that it was in the family? No, because it's not common that brothers and sisters have it, right. that siblings have it. So, sorry, there's a truck beeping. Um, so it hit you out of left field. You had no idea that this was coming. No, I definitely had no idea. I never thought anything like that. And, um, and you know, I'm living by myself in L.A. I don't have family out here. Um, you know, not so much support. I don't know if I'm going to be able to work. I don't know if anyone's going to hire me. My doctor told me to never tell anyone. And that's, that's what made me decide to do my horse ride across the country because the doctor said, look, you're going to be in a wheelchair in 10 years. You should do something that you really want to do and don't tell anybody that you have it because they'll treat you different and you'll never work again. So tell everybody the story of the horse ride because it's a wonderful story. So I had been riding horses. I booked a film and and I needed to ride bareback. So I've been riding horses. That's the precursor. I've been riding horses every day for like a year. Bareback, just running. And we were talking about the fantasy of riding a horse across the country already. 
And then I got diagnosed and it's like, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to make sure that I have some memory to look back on if I'm in a wheelchair? And I was like, well, I guess I'll just, I'm going to ride a horse cross country. And everyone's like, you're insane. I was like, it's not that hard if you just focus on the next 20 miles. You find water, you find somewhere to sleep and you just do it. I'll just be a vagabond. I don't mm -hmm. care. And then some people were um, wanting to film it, make a documentary, which I wanted to do too, but then they wanted to plan it and be like, okay, you have to be here at this time, this time, this time. And I was like, that's, that does, that right. doesn't work that way, you know? So anyway, so I started in Georgia. My horse went lame as soon as I got there. So we sat by a pond and lived by a pond for a couple of weeks. And then we'd go, go riding. I'd ride on dirt roads. I'd ride on the highway. I met amazing people. It was really beautiful. And then slowly I started losing function oh. and going numb. So my feet went numb and I thought, well, I'm on a horse. It doesn't really matter. I can get on and off. Yeah. And then my hands started going numb and then I lost feeling in my torso and it, uh, I didn't know if it was my hands or my torso that was more numb, but I felt like a dead body when I touched myself. And so I was like, oh, my God. Um, and then I was throwing my saddle onto my horse, and my hands weren't working, so I would use my head, and I'd push it up like that. And a farmer saw me doing that, and he's like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, my hand's not working, so I'm, I used my head, and I forgot I was even doing that. And he was like, you need to stop this. You're going to hurt yourself, you know? So I called my doctor, and... My doctor is amazing, Dr. Pelletier at USC. He's one of the lead researchers. Mm -hmm. um, and he still talks about it. He's like, I could hear the horse's hooves pounding on the pavement. Oh. I'm like, hey, doc, so I think I'm in a relapse. I can't feel my hands or my feet or my torso. Wow. <laughs> and um, so he told me to go to a motel room and lay in an ice bath and sit in front of an air conditioning because maybe it was the heat mm. and maybe it wasn't a relapse because that could aggravate your lesions. Right, right. Um, so I have 15 lesions in my brain for him. I fine. And um, I did that. And he's like, call me on Monday. If it doesn't work, it's Friday. And I did, and it didn't stop. It kept getting worse. So I had to fly back, and I started Rituxan, which is one of the drugs in chemo. It's what they started. Now they're doing Ocrevus, but I didn't switch to Ocrevus. Um, and it, it seemed to work. It took about six months for my hands to come back. But uh, I, would, I would like to finish my ride. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't think I can do it on a horse. I don't want to damage myself anymore. But You could do we'll it in a buggy. I was thinking that I was also thinking I could just do it on a bicycle. So I think that my instinct was correct. And you can tell me if you've ever heard about this. My instinct was exercise my body, calm my mind and get to the next place. So my neurologist now says there's something that happens with the endorphins or something after people are running like 10 miles when they're doing a lot of exercise, it becomes neuroprotective and mm. maybe regenerative. Mm -hmm. So, I think my instinct to do it was right. It was just the stress of having another animal psychology to deal with. Right. That makes sense. But it's yeah. still, it's still a, a, an experience that I'm guessing you'd still want to have. I mean, how do you, if you can do something like that, how do you not? To think of all yeah, the stops, exactly. all the people, the messaging that you can send. Also yeah. that you said something really powerful before. Your doctor told you not to tell anyone. Yeah. So I told everyone. So you th was that instantaneous or did you think about that for a couple of days? I thought about it for a few days and then I started making my website and being like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that because I know that in myself, um, I can't keep secrets and I'm not a very good liar. So I did one job after I was diagnosed before I told anyone. And that was, uh, that was with Ted Danson and he was sitting there and he was joking around all the time. And I couldn't, I was trying to hang in with the jokes, but I was so like, oh my God, I have this thing and I can't tell anyone. And then I was, I just started telling everybody because I thought that the stress of hiding something would be worse greater. for me yeah. than tell, yeah, than not working or whatever. It's like, I can't, I can't hold this secret in. And it, it made so. your workflow better. I'm guessing once you got it out too, because that's a Absolutely. powerful environment to work in holding something like that. That's so life changing inside. Yeah, exactly. How are you feeling now? I feel great right now. Because um, you I look terrific, by the way. You do. You look Thank terrific. You. So I, I was guessing you were going to say you're doing great. <laughs> I am. I'm doing really well. I'm working. I just came off of Strange Angel. And I also feel really healthy. I just got back from the Amazon literally two days ago. Um, visiting tribes, going down the river and all that stuff, which I didn't know about the fire when I was there. And then I got back and got reception and was like, oh, my God. But I was in Peru. So, um, And then I'm on Rituxan still. And I've been on it for three years. 
and it's doing great. I have to do it in actually two weeks. I do my infusion. Mm -hmm. I'm tired for a little while afterwards, but now we're working on it. So we're cutting my dose of steroids in half because I think that's what harms me more than mm -hmm. the rituxan mm -hmm. is the steroid infusion. So we're going to try that and um, lessen some of the drugs. And I think everything's going to be good. I'm not panicking. So I'm like, I'm looking at it from a director's standpoint, right? Like what drugs can we lessen? How can we, you know, work with this? And so I don't feel sick afterwards. You know, there's, so it's working. there's a lesson in this for anybody who suffers any kind of an illness. I always say two things. One, medicine doesn't have to be local. If something yeah. is wrong with you, go to the best, not the one down the street necessarily. And that's yeah. a real perception that I'm trying to change, you know, in a whole medical world is people think that their medical sciences are limited to their neighborhood or their community. But when yeah. we have a medical challenge, find the best. Medical care doesn't have to be local. It needs to be yeah. the best. Uh, you know, and that's yeah. what, what I think is, is really important. And, and I think the other uh, uh, important lesson that I hear from your story is your ability to manage it and be involved yeah. in it. You're not letting it happen to you. You're managing its effect upon you. And that's yeah. really powerful. And a lot of yeah. people who have medical challenges like this allow others to manage them instead okay. of themselves. But you're not allowing that to happen, are you? No, no. And I've been on a couple different drugs. And, and you know, even when they wanted to switch me to Ocrevus, I read the clinical trials. Some people were getting breast cancer. I think it's a little bit too new. And they were really pushing for me to switch, and I, I just made the decision not to. And then this isn't working for me. It's making me feel weird. But I always read the clinical trials. I do a lot of research. I read a lot of blogs. Um, there's one guy, Wheelchair Kamikaze, and he posts so much really great information. His is way more extreme than mine, but, um, but he knows everything about all the drugs and also alternative stuff. So I try to do a lot of research and really decide what I want no matter what kind of pressure is out there, you know. Thank God there's a big community of information yeah. and such out there. Okay, I'm going to switch topics on you for a second. Okay. I'm okay. guessing you're in your apartment or your house. And yeah. don't worry, I can't read those post-its on the wall behind you. So don't worry. I can't, re <laughs> I can't read what they say. But I'm noting a couple of things. One, I'm noting the picture of Elizabeth Taylor on your desk. <laughs> Correct? So okay. That uh -huh. looks like a, a, a wall, uh, uh, an Andy Warhol type of uh, So, Are you a big fan of Elizabeth Taylor? Is that a choice piece? Is that a coincidence that it happens to be there? I had to ask. Yeah, no, that's a coincidence. I'm actually working on a movie uh, with my friend. And so that a lot of that stuff is her stuff. And we're just kind of like vibing and everything. So okay. it's a total coincidence. Okay, so <laughs> you're a pretty busy girl. You got a busy life, right? So I look at the post-it notes behind you, and I notice, okay, we have orange ones, pink ones, yellow ones, and green ones. So I also notice they're in a very neat rectangle. They're not stuck all over the place. They're extremely organized. It, it, is, a, it is a very organized structure that you have. Are you very or, – yeah, I'm having fun with you. Are you very organized as a person typically? Yeah, I can be – yes. Yeah. So, I tried to so for script beats and storylines and stuff like that. Yeah, they get they get really um, written out and they are very clean lines. <laughs> so, so you like to storyboard your day, so to speak. Uh, yeah, not every day, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes. Okay, okay, so is there a difference between the pink ones and the orange ones, or is the color just a coincidence of the pad? Um, no, I think that's more of a coincidence. Okay. So yeah. is, what is the relationship of the top left one to the bottom right? Is one more important than the other? Is um, there a logic to the way you put them together? Or is that just something you want to stare at every day to remind you to, to, to keep these things moving? No, it's just stuff to get done. <laughs> gotcha. So you're like me, so I'll do that kind of stuff too. But yeah. when I stare at it every day, it just constantly prompts me to move it along. Yeah, but, get it done. And really, really satisfying to mark it off or take it down. That's like the best. Sometimes I'll write stuff that I know is really easy or I've gotten it done so that I can check it off because it makes me feel like I have progress. <laughs> so you don't only do to-do lists. You do done lists. <laughs> I do done lists. Oh, I totally do done lists. Like towards the end of the day, I'll be like, okay, I did this and this and this and this. And then I'll write it down and cross it off. It's a little crazy. You know, that's actually a pretty like neat idea, though, motivationally. So if I had yeah. a list of 10 things to do on the left side of my page, let's say, 
Yeah. And now I finish one. I move it to the right side of the page. That done list makes me feel pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, it makes you feel really good. And then it keeps you motivated to do your next to-do list because you've crossed those off and you make room. It's fun. It is sort of fun. So it's like moving the puzzle pieces around. Are you, yeah. are you always this happy? Kind of. Yeah. Not on infusion days, but. Because <laughs> you're glowing. You are, Mar. And, and it's interesting. Thank you're, uh, uh, and I don't want to make you blush. But when I I'm look, already, I'm very hot. <laughs> when when I when I talk to you now and see you as you really are, you know, and smiling, and we get to look in each other's eyes, albeit through screens, boy, you your characters you play are nothing like you. I know. No, I've never gotten to really play something like myself, and I really want to. But it, I think that it, would be fun. It just shows what a great actress you are, honestly. And, you Thank know, you. there are so many actresses, and I would never mention a name, who play themselves in every movie. And son of a gun, they get 30 movies out of it. God bless them. You know, it's terrific. Yeah, but, I'd love but, to do that. <laughs> but every time I see you, you're completely different. And you have this depth at what you do. And I think it comes back to one thing. And I know this is sort of an actor's cliche, but I'm going to say it. Courage. When you were that little girl, you had this courage to put yourself out there. The courage to go to Japan, the courage to go to San Francisco, the courage to go to L.A., the courage to walk in front of that camera, the courage to approach MS like you have, right, in a life-changing situation, the courage to get on that horse. Yeah. And there's one thing that I, in, in the time that I've known you today that I know, you will get on that freaking horse again. Of course. Because yeah. that's who you are. Thank you. Because that's yeah. who you are. You will always get on that proverbial horse. <laughs> Amara, this has been a wonderful talk. What are you working on now? Uh, well, Strange That you can Angel, talk about. Think, as you know, Strange Angel. Yep. And then I have, I'm working on building my script right now and getting it produced. We're getting funding. We have half the funding. And um, it is, it's a really great story. It's my parents in the 70s, and I'm going to play my mom. And, wow. um, and they had a really wild time. And of course it's dramatized and made bigger and everything, but sure. it's dealing with hell's angels and going down to Mexico and coming through Texas. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say too much about it, but it's definitely actiony. I've, I've let people read it and they're like, Oh, a woman wrote that. It's kind of like a good fellas from a female perspective, you know? So that's what I'm really working on and playing music too. So, uh, well, that's a really exciting. So, uh, where can people find you? if they have an interest in following you and connecting with you and watching you on social media or, you know, if, where can we find you? Well, I have uh, my Instagram, okay. which is Birdo, which is Bridget Bardo if she was a bird. So it's ah. B-I-R-G-O-T. <laughs> B-I-R-G-O-T, okay. Uh-huh, so uh Birdo. Um, and I think that's kind of it. And I, I started a necklace line and it's called Ama Magic and they're sigils. And I have one on right now. I wonder if you can see it. Let me see. They're little, they're little magic spells. Can you see that? I can. It's beautiful. So, yeah. So, so uh, is each one a different spell? Each one is a, each one is a different spell. Yeah. And this one is for my career. So this is personal, but I made some that will work for anyone for love, for abundance, for security, for safety, for gratefulness, for spirituality. And you wear it and it kind of projects that energy into your sphere, you know, that you're doing. And, um, and I tell you how to charge it through meditation and all this stuff. And we were working with sigils on strange angel and I had been doing it for 15 years by then. And um, I had these necklaces, and I was like, oh, I should put my necklaces out. But on Strange Angel, it's darker, and I do it. It's a little lighter. Gotcha. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so what is that What is that website again? That is amamagic.com, A-M-A-M-A-G-I-C-K.com. Wow, that's neat. That's a cool gift idea, too, for somebody. Yeah, it's really good gifts. A yeah. lot of people are really into them. So. Yeah, I've got a feeling my wife might have one soon. <laughs> anyway, Amara, this was a pleasure. I knew this would be fun, but but you're just terrific, and I hope this was fun for you too. And your Thanks story so is 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 really inspiring to people. And Thanks. and you know sometimes, you know, being a modest and humble person as you are, you might not realize the magnitude of your influence on others. No, and, I definitely do. And it's powerful. It is. And, and you know, playing a role is one thing. Touching people's lives is another. And uh, I look forward to seeing you back up on that horse again soon. Thank you so much. This has been a great time. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Boy, what a great interview. Think of that moment when Amara said, I'm going to Japan. I'm going to go by myself. 
I'm a young girl. There's all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't do it. But there's all sorts of reasons why I should. I'm going to put my fear aside. I'm going to put my circumstance aside. I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to not use time as an excuse and make the time to go. And really, this is the story of my book, Don't BS Yourself, Cut the Excuses That Are Holding You Back. In that moment, Amara went for it. And that's really powerful. So I ask you, are you going for it? Because if you don't go for it, it never happens. Amara wouldn't be Amara. She wouldn't have met the people, did the work that she did, achieved the accomplishments. It all came down to one choice, to do it or not to do it. Amara said yes. Do you? Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every episode of No Excuses is not only fun for me to do and to interact with all of you and, and, and to talk about things that are going on out there, but, you know, the interviews are really, really important to me. You know, last week we, we, we had Damon John, and, you know, learning about Damon and the good that he does and the struggles he went through in life really touched me, and I think I was a better person for that. I learned from Damon that day, and I learned from Amara today. You know, I learned about courage. I learned about putting aside things that can haunt you in your head and just going to work. I learned about just the whole premise of happiness, the whole premise of just moving forward. There was a lot to learn from people in life who have things to teach. And I hope when we listen to those things that we pick up a moment of inspiration because when you freeze and you don't move forward, you're freezing your life. Amara didn't do that. I didn't do that. That's why the two of us are on this show. Please don't do that yourself. Whatever's next, go for it, man. Go for it. Next is really cool. Talk to you next week.